Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. It's Monday, September 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from MFAM Funds, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, we're actually taping this a couple days early because we're having a full member event in D.C. So, as folks are listening to this on Monday, I'm in Washington, D.C. at the event. This is a, We're admitting that this time. We're admitting that this because time. Because there have been a time or two when I've been on a show and we've sort of finessed what day it was, was being taped. I, in this case, I felt like I wanted to just be upfront with the dozens of listeners. I, I applaud your improved <laughs> candor with the audience. Um, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We got a, we've had so many great questions over the summer. Um, so, thank you to everyone who writes in to marketfoolery at fool.com. Uh, let's start with a question from Nick Burgess, who writes I began investing in MongoDB earlier this year when I heard a few fool analysts discussing the stock. I did my research and began buying into the stock. Let me just stop right there and say, I appreciate that Nick did his own research because we always say, you know, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. And as some of the listeners have admitted from time to time, uh, yeah, you were talking about it, so I just bought it. No, no, no. Be like Nick. Do your own research. Anyway, Nick goes on to write, but I'm down 21% and falling since jumping in. I've been buying the dip in this company since it's one I believe in, but at some point, it feels like enough will be enough. I know it can be a largely personal thing, but at what point? Does the full team know when to keep persevering or when to reallocate to something else? All this keeping in mind that I'm 27 years old and I basically have a 40 year outlook on my investments. Thanks again for your amazing work. Uh, thank you for listening, Nick, and thank you for the question. Um, it's a great question because I think it's one of those questions that experienced investors wrestle with. You know, you can be investing for 10, 20 years and still look at a company your original thesis still holds, it's down, maybe you buy a little bit more. But at some point, if it keeps falling or it just hovers down below for a while, it's perfectly natural to look at it and think, okay, is is it time to just cut my cut my loss here? Yeah, I'll have to fill in uh, some of the blanks that I would have necessarily from uh, you know a, a short email uh, about the specifics of of the writer, uh, who is 27 and therefore at, at least as a group, 27 year olds would be expected to have less experience uh, and less knowledge about themselves uh, and how they are going to react over the long and short term to stock price movements. So. Uh, that may or may not be the case, uh, you know, of, of this author. But um, what I would say is, you know, is it the stock that's bothering you, or is it the company that's bothering you? The stock is down twenty one percent. That's mentioned here. You know, has the company's results disappointed since the purchase? Because if if what you got wrong was something about the company, that's a good time to reconsider whether you should keep investing in something. If what you got wrong was what I really liked most of all, I got to be honest, is this is a stock that was going up every day, right? Because MongoDB kind of fit into that category, went from 20 at the beginning of 2018 to I think a high of about 170 something uh, this summer. And, and yeah, 
I can see where that would be. <laughs> who wouldn't like who that? Who wouldn't like that? And and if that's why you're buying, I love the fact that it just goes up and and you know triples in less than twelve months. That's why I bought it. Well, okay, take a step back. Is is that really why you bought it? I'm not saying that that was the case here, but it is going to apply to some people. And so, the first question I would say is: Is it the stock or is it the company that's bothering you at this point? And I'm I'm seeing the stock mentioned here. I'm not seeing the company mentioned as having disappointed in its last you know quarterly conference or anything like that. So I would say. You know, lean on that. You're 27. You got 40 years. If you believe in the company, you know, has that changed? In terms of allocating money, because we talk about having cash in the account, having a watch list, is there a process that you go through in your own investing life when you're in that position? When you think, okay, I've got a little bit of money. Let me look at my portfolio. Do you tend to look at What's on a watch list? Something that you don't already own, or do you tend to look first at well, what do I already own, and maybe is there something there that's uh, on sale? Uh, it uh, starts with looking at what I already own and what I, you know, as as time goes by, feel I need to do to re-diversify things that have. Uh, you know, gone up and take a bigger percentage of the portfolio. Things where I've made mistakes and should you know leave the stock and find something that that I like better. Uh, so it, it starts with a look uh, at, at what I already own. Question from Daniel in Dubai. He writes: My portfolio now has 72 positions. It's been beating the market returns for the last year. I noticed that my initial portfolio, set up a little over a year ago, has increased. Not less than 45% in value, thanks to you guys. Originally, it was 15 positions. In the past 12 months, as I've been adding to it, the overall returns are obviously smaller, as many companies have not had the time to run high. I have a 70% focus on growth stocks, 20% on international, and 10% on marijuana stocks. Is it too big? Should I narrow it down to the winners? If so, when should I do so? 72 positions. In the portfolio, that's a lot of stocks. Um, you know, to go back to Nick and his question, when he's like, "It's a largely personal thing," I sort of feel like seventy-two would be too many for me to feel like I had a handle on. That's just me. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I guess I would start with why do you own seventy-two positions? You know, if if it's uh, sort of a David Gardner. Uh, perspective where he, uh, you know, espouses buying and holding forever. You know, over a long investing career, you're going to have found many companies that that you want to keep owning, and so you're not just selling to to get down to a, a specific number. Seventy two is way larger than you need to be fully diversified. That said. Uh, the author here uh, has identified seventy percent focus on growth stocks, twenty on international, ten on marijuana. They're probably, I'm guessing, of that growth stocks, especially if it's a follower of, of the Molly Fool work, probably heavily weighted toward tech. This, despite having 72 positions, might not be as diversified as 72 randomly chosen stocks would end up giving you. Diversified on an industry basis. Yeah, yeah. So if I mean it's 70 percent on, on growth. You know this. This could be more diversified with fewer stocks. Uh, while everything's going up, 
Uh, it's been a great year for growth. Uh, it's been a great five years for growth. Uh, it's not going to feel like there was a mistake in concentrating on growth. That will, uh, at some point, even if it's just for a small period of time, feel like, ooh, I, I, all, all I have is growth and it's all going down at the same time. I'm not not saying that over the long term, uh, you know, that's that's a problem to be overweighted in growth. But if you want to be more diversified and with fewer positions, that's probably easy to do by by culling this. I think the only way I could own 72 stocks in a portfolio is if there was a decent chunk of them that I just no longer cared about. That that, that it was just sort of a, a situation where I said, well, I got to a point where I decided I wasn't going to sell stocks. No matter what was going on, just because you never know, things can turn around. But yeah, here's here's ten or fifteen that it's like, oh, oh, right, I own that. I'd forgotten since the last time I looked at my portfolio. Yeah, we're not. Nobody's uh, going to be following seventy-two positions closely. On on even if it is their job, they're probably not doing that because most industry analysts are covering fewer than twenty companies. In the same industry uh, now, they're spending sixty hours a week or, or more on that. But uh, somebody who is investing uh, as their own money in individual stocks, uh, as as a way to keep educated about this and and to enjoy the process, seventy two sounds like y- you've seen a lot of things. You like the story. You bought some, and and you like that process, and it, and it's been working out. You know, according to the, the narrative here, uh, but don't fool yourself into thinking that you're going to follow 72 positions and keep a job. More email in a second, but quick shout out to LinkedIn. Hiring is not as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important you reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. Over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and the right soft skills to meet your role requirements. Talking about things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability, LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. And you can get $50 off your first job post. That's real money, $50. Go to LinkedIn.com slash fool. That's LinkedIn.com slash fool for $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Question from Gerald Lynch, who asks Can you explain why it would uh, ever be wiser? Or he adds parenthetically, more capital F foolish, to buy an individual stock amongst the dividend aristocrats rather than a low cost dividend index fund or ETF based on all the dividend aristocrats. For those unfamiliar dividend aristocrats, companies that have not only paid a dividend for 25 years, they've increased the dividend for 25 years. Right. So I think either of the uh, you know, low-cost dividend index fund or ETF based on the dividend aristocrats is a an excellent way to be invested. And would it ever be a reason uh, to buy an individual stock? Well, you know, if you enjoy the process, uh, if you feel if you have some confidence that a, an individual stock is better than average uh, out of that group, that would be you know a reason why it would make sense if you have knowledge about the industry. 
such that you are justified in having that level of confidence about a specific stock. Uh, sure, I mean, and a dividend aristocrat of the places that you might buy one and only one stock, uh, you know, there's a pretty good safety net under there, right? Because they're they've got a long history. They're paying dividends. On the the growth scale, they're going to be not you know the most aggressive growers, and so uh, you're, you, the amount that you are going to suffer when you're wrong about an individual stock out of that category is less than uh, other categories. So from time to time, we talk about company management. Uh, such a crucial part of what management does for any given business is capital allocation. How do they choose to invest? The money. How do they choose to spend money? At what point in the process, at what year between one and twenty-five, do you think the pressure starts to mount internally among the management team? Like, oh wait, we got to keep this streak going. Because my <laughs> assumption is it's not in the first ten to fifteen years. But I bet once you start getting into the high teens. It really becomes something that gets talked about, you know, in the boardroom or something like that. It's like, look, um, I know, Bill, you're looking to make that investment, but uh, we're in year 19 of raising our dividend. Six more, we're a dividend aristocrat, and I'm sorry, we we, we gotta we gotta put some money aside to bump up the dividend. There's no way that conversation is not happening. Yeah, yeah, it's probably happening, and there are rewards for entering that that category. You know, greater trust from investors, a more stable investor base. So there are reasons beyond uh, just kicking around. Hey, let's keep a streak going. Like, uh, you know, a streak in sports uh, might be fun to watch, right? Uh, there is, there are real investment consequences, uh, and and in, indeed, what is your cost of capital? That is, if you have been showing that you can increase your dividend every year, and it looks like you will keep doing that, your your borrowing costs are going to be lower. You're going to probably have higher rated, uh, you know, bonds, and you're going to be able to borrow that money a little bit cheaper than somebody else. Please keep the email coming. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. I mentioned we got a lot of great questions over the summer. When I was going back through the email, I was reminded of the fact that we occasionally get email about other topics, not just stocks. And we got a bunch of email in August in response to a topic that you raised when we were talking about Philadelphia and you just sort of casually tossed out there that the Liberty Bell is the most overrated tourist attraction in America. And overwhelmingly, the dozens of listeners weighed in and said, you might be forgetting about Plymouth Rock, because it's just a rock. In, in my defense, and, and this, this is true, I didn't realize Plymouth Rock was a tourist site. It had never occurred to me that people would go visit Plymouth Rock. At no Do point- they? You're... you're you're from New England. I don't think I've ever been. <laughs> Has it ever occurred to you to go? Has anybody ever said, "Hey, let's go to Plymouth Rock"? Uh, not that I can remember. It probably so the, it, it, it's probably something if you if if you're growing up in Massachusetts and it's a school trip when you're learning about state history or something like it's probably one of those situations. But yeah, I think for people who are like, "Hey, for um, for 
summer break, we're going to go to New England. We're going to go to Boston, and we're going to spend some time up in Maine and hit some of the state parks, that sort of thing. And it, like, it's not. Oh, we we got to build in time for Plymouth Rock. No, and I picture these uh, school children getting dragged to Plymouth Rock, right? Like nobody is looking forward to the Plymouth Rock trip. And this brings up the question of, you know, whether. Whether this is just a, you know a boring thing, or whether it, whether it can be overrated if nobody thought it was going to be any good, uh, like do, is this one of the great tourist attractions in terms of numbers that Massachusetts has to offer? I think you're setting the bar too high. I think we're just talking about you know some organization gets together and says we've declared this is a thing, and we're going to charge money so that you can come check out this thing. People pay money to go to Plymouth Rock. I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe maybe it's just funded that through taxes. That would be tragic. It really would be. And 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 I think you're showing your age just a little bit. And I say that only because you're older than me. But when you're a kid, when you're in grade school, I, you're pretty happy to get out of school. So the so are they psyched about going to Plymouth Rock? Not necessarily. Are they happy that they're not in the classroom? Definitely. I, I don't know. I mean, again, remember, this is an outdoor trip. Massachusetts is cold all the time. No, not all the time. During the school year. No. No, they're being taken there in January by the evil school teachers who, when they've done something wrong, it's a threat. I bet. Don't it. keep acting up, or we're going to do that field trip to Plymouth Rock this week. I bet at least one teacher we're- has done that. <laughs> Uh, you can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues at mfamfunds.com. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our man Steve Broido is behind the glass. So shout out to Steve. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.